All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now to elevate your game. Brought to you by Ram Elevators and Lifts. Forbes, best-rated residential elevators manufactured right here in Edmonton. Visit TrustRam.com for more information. Kind of exciting to talk a little CFL with uh, Matt Chinetti from CFL on TSN. Morning, Matt. Welcome back to Sports 1440. Oh, not too bad. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing just uh, fabulous today. And uh, I guess they had the, the CFL free agency communications window open on the weekend. But would you agree that people are probably talking behind the lines uh, <laughs> many days and weeks before this all kind of gets going anyway? Well, if you watch it, if you were taking a look at a Darius Pickett on X or Twitter or whatever, <laughs> he was pretty much talking to every team <laughs> in the background um, with some of his posts. Uh, this is, I think, something that, you know, it's, it's taken a little bit of time to get used to because this is not, it's not new, new anymore. It's been around for seasons, but it's still, uh, it's still different in the, in the CFL knowing that there's that quote unquote legal tampering period, but uh but here we are. But you know the, the names that everyone wants to know about, specifically the uh, Matthew Betts and uh, Brady Oliveira. Uh, those are those big fishes, and uh, I imagine the teams that are very interested in them are going to be making some big pushes in the coming days. And Dalton Schoen as well, too, I guess. And but you mentioned Brady Oliveira. He, would he be your number one big nut in the bowl here, or what? Uh, when you look at it, Canadian um, uh, in a skilled position. Uh, the heir apparent to uh, John Cornish and Andrew Harris mantle of being the top Canadian running back uh, and knowing the salary that can command. Absolutely. Now, Matthew Betts certainly being the defensive player of the year um, and setting the single season sack record for a Canadian is, is huge as well. Uh, and that's not to dismiss uh, Betts at all. Um, but productivity is, is, is a big deal. And this is still very much an offensive league and, uh, I would say that Brady Oliveira uh, just takes bets by a hair. Uh, although I'm sure he would, he'd probably take exception to that. But I, uh, I just think that knowing what Brady Oliveira did last season, um, that he's still in that realm with the prime of his career, uh, and he can offer so much not only running but uh, catching passes out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. Some of the games that we watched him play uh, and, and really helped the Bombers out last season and Zach Calero specifically. Uh, I think that. Any team that gets him, uh, certainly not only does it uh, significantly improve their, their ratio, but also uh, you're adding a player who can do so many multiple things for you. Matthew Shinetti from TSN with us on Sports 1440. So, Matthew, what, what kind of salary and term do you think a guy like uh, Oliveira would command? Well, that's a, that, and that's a significant question here, because if you're looking at it from all the teams that, that would be interested in, and, and Certainly, you, you think that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers would love to keep him, but given where they are um, in the in the timeline of all the success they've had over the last four or five seasons, knowing the other salaries that some of their other big players, and knowing how significant their offensive line has been, and you mentioned Dalton Schoen, and nervous that the receivers have been for Zach Caleros. Uh, are they going to have the money to go ahead and look at Brady Oliveira, who might be looking in, in you know, the upper 200s and 250s and, and north of that, uh, given you know that value, as I stated before, of being a Canadian and, and a ratio breaker. But that term is is probably the most significant thing too, uh, you know, given that we have kind of a, uh, an evolving uh, salary cap structure in, in the CFL and you know the the idea of, of portions of that contract being guaranteed and I. Uh, 
I don't know if, if there's a term that, that would be, especially at the number that Brady Oliveira would be looking for, that any team would, would mm-hmm. want to swallow that easily. But I, I would imagine if Brady Oliveira is, is looking to move from a team, he would move from Winnipeg for a team uh, that is certainly going to offer him a nice chunk of change, but is not a team that's going to offer him a, a one-year, one-and-done contract. This is not a player, I think, that is going in the prime of his career, looking at his prime earning years, saying, you know what, I'm just going to leave for a one-year deal at you know two fifty, two sixty, or 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 what have you. I think he'd be, I think he'd be looking for a longer term commitment in two or th- in in the two or three season range. Are, are you surprised, Matthew, that uh, maybe an NFL team just didn't take a flyer on him here for you know a look? Yeah, <laughs> running backs as we're we, <laughs> as we know in the CFL and and certainly in the NFL this past year, apart from Christian McCaffrey, obviously. Uh, and the amazing, you know, M- uh, MVP style season that he had, if, if if not for the great regular season that Lamar Jackson had, uh, they were uh, they were taking exception to uh, mm-hmm. certainly Josh Jacobs who made himself vocal, and 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 those are the quote unquote running backs union that all kind of uh, came together over social media in the off season. Uh, that is still a sticking point in the NFL uh, when you look at running backs as maybe their most replaceable skill position, that a running back has a handful of seasons in them, and then you're not going to go ahead and invest the same kind of money you might in a top-end receiver, top-end defensive lineman, even a top-end corner. I mean, you know, this is this is a position that is so vital, and yet you know, so many teams have often looked at it as that position that you can just take somebody out and put somebody else in. However, I look at the Canadian aspect of it um, and, and know that that probably also doesn't work in Brady Oliveira's favor. There is nothing that I see in him um, in terms of the size, the strength, the speed, that he has anything less than anyone else in the NFL. But it, is, it continues to be the big difficulty for a, a lot of Canadians. Certainly Canadian linemen have, have done well in varying degrees. And there's been some Canadians in skilled positions. Certainly we're seeing what, you know, I look at somebody like a Javon Holland has done with the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. But in that running back position, in that skilled position, in those main offensive positions, it, has, it continues to be a, a difficult proposition for Canadian to break, who, uh, break in. You know, Luke Wilson, you know, RTS and analyst, certainly part of that Super Bowl winning team with the Seattle Seahawks back 10 years ago is an exception. But a Canadian getting into a skill, uh, getting into an offensive skill position is a difficulty, and I think that works against Brady Oliveira. We are elevating our game for Ram Elevator and Lists with Matthew Shinetti, CFL on TSN. You mentioned him off the top, Matthew, just uh, Matthew Betts, uh, probably number one defensive player. Do you see a landing spot for him? Could he stay in BC? And just the thoughts on him possibly returning to where it all started for him in uh, here in Edmonton. Um, you know, I, I, I that, that's the difficulty that that you look at when you're in these situations is 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 um, the the tug back to to where it all began, and I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure yet. Um, it is one of those things that. Uh, there are there are many surprises that could be thrown at you uh, at this time of year, and and that's one of them. If it happened, it would be it would be uh, great. But certainly, uh, Edmonton is as uh, you can see, the vibe has certainly changed uh, around the team. Um, this is a team now that that certainly is is looking to to bring in and make a push for talent, uh, and that uh, <laughs> it's, it's certainly a different narrative than what we were talking about nine months ago. Um, 
but it's it's going to be a, a very 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 competitive free agency. There's so many there are there are dozens and dozens and dozens of players on the docket now, and uh, uh, if that one goes through, it would certainly certainly be a big big plus for Edmonton. You know, um, obviously, uh, you know I've covered this team for 25 years, no, n- never seen anything like it that what we've seen here in the last couple of years, Matthew. But um, I, I think that there's some changes coming forward that everyone believes that uh, hopefully they can get back to where, where they were. How would you just assess, I guess, what they've done so far, I guess, with the, the big, big one being uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson here? The one, the one thing I'll say about McLeod Bethel-Thompson coming back is um, he is, having watched him closely in Toronto, he is somebody who... Um, he commands a level of respect because of the journey that he's had in his career. This is somebody who walks into a room and everybody understands that he has fought for everything that he ha- has had in his professional football career. Uh, and he is, and, and he has that kind of leadership that can elevate a locker room and, and kind of coalesce and bring guys together. Is it the one, is it the thing that the, the Elks lacked? No. Uh, I, I was watching last season um, as they were going through, especially that, that home winning drought, and he was just looking at one of those teams that uh, was having a hard time kind of figuring out that one little detail to win a play, that one little detail to win a quarter, that one little detail to win a half, uh, and then ultimately win a game. And, and, and that is a culture thing. And of all of the situations that I've seen in, in, in the time that I've been in the CFL and watched the league, it is the most disappointing situation to see, uh, you know, the once the, 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 the headline franchise yeah. in the league have, have the issues that it's had. But uh, knowing the the effort that's been put in in the offseason, bringing someone uh, like McLeod Bethel-Thompson in, uh, those aren't going to be steps that change everything, but they are going to be steps to, to kind of create stability. And that's what you have to do. Um, because the one thing that I think if you look across the CFL, and, I, and, and, and this is where I point to the Montreal Alouettes in the season they had, um, that of, of anything else sh- should articulate to most that this is a league where all you need is a chance. All you need is a good vibe. All you need is that little bit of momentum. And watch what the Montreal Alouettes did last season. Uh, they, uh, no one expected them to win the Grey Cup. And, and they went ahead and had a franchise-defining uh, a franchise-defining season uh, for the first time in well over a decade. Uh, that could have to happen to Edmonton too, and but it's having those those right pieces in place to create that momentum. And I I, I can definitely say after being around him, McLeod Bethel Thompson is that kind of guy. He is not going to break apart a locker room. He's going to bring guys together. But it's just one of many pieces that the Elks are going to need in, in, a, in what is going to be a very, very, very important season. So in your time getting to know MBT, Matthew, uh, how much can he help Trey Ford? And is there any chance that this could go sideways in the sense of, you know, this was Trey Ford's team at the end of last year? Um, just your thoughts on that dynamic. Uh, you can you can, you can can clip me and quote me on this. Okay. McLeod Buffett-Thompson will not have any friction with Trey Ford. I watched him. Think, think about it like this. I look at the dynamic that was here in Toronto. Chad Kelly came up here, uh, was young, was, was, I won't say brash, but certainly wanted to go ahead and make his mark. Um, MBT kind of understood that. And, and, and their two careers couldn't be more polar opposite. MBT 
the journeyman who's been to so many NFL training camps, has had so many opportunities, a guy who had spent at that point uh, a handful of seasons in, in the CFL, had been behind Ricky Ray, uh, had been trying to find his own uh, stability as a starter, had finally been become a guy, and here comes the, this young buck who is certainly trying to make an impression. And if anything, Chad, much of the success that you saw from Chad Kelly last year, especially in the regular season, is is attributed to McLeod, Bethel Thompson, and and the the kind of stewardship that he provided for a young quarterback like Chad Kelly. And maybe um, some would say that you know in in, in those big moments, uh, some, you know last year in the East final. Uh, maybe Chad Kelly went away from a, some of the things that, that a McLeod Buffalo Thompson would have taught him. But uh, MBT uh, will not have, have anything but a positive effect on Trey Ford because he will come in with his ample experience, especially being <laughs> behind someone like a Ricky Ray, and he'll be able to articulate those things to a Trey Ford. And, you know, quarterbacks are never always going to be the best of friends, and I always kind of have a cockeye when – when guys tell me, oh, I, this is the, you know, backups especially, this is the best quarterback room I've ever been in, mm-hmm. and, and what a guy, and this is such a great partnership. What I usually find is the best respected are guys who don't ruffle, don't rattle anything. They, 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 they understand what the structure is, and they're willing to learn, they're willing to observe, and they're willing to collaborate. And I saw that, especially towards the end of the season when the Argos went on their journey to, uh, to winning the Grey Cup, and that's a credit to MBT, and I suspect that he'll have the same effect with Trey Ford this season. Well said, Matthew. Just a quick one on soccer. Just I know you got your pause in a lot of soccer coverage at TSN. Anything top of mind uh, regarding the national team that you just want to kind of throw out there? Just uh, anything that we might be uh, interested out here? Yeah, you know what? Uh, certainly the uh, the Alfonso Davies situation uh, with 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 his knee. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I was sending a I won't say a, a, a flurry of texts, but I was sending a few texts to some people. Uh, to make sure that he was okay. And, and the response that I was getting back was uh, Bayern Munich will be handling all of the communications. So uh, it, it doesn't seem like it's a, it's a huge deal at this point. Um, he was having such a strong start, had scored the week before. But uh, with that Copa America playoff coming closer and closer at the end of March, and now it's, what, seven weeks away, uh, you want a healthy Alfonso yeah. Davies because I just want to remind everybody. Um, yes, they just announced all of the... Uh, the dates and the schedule for the matches of the 2026 World Cup, but Canada will face, if they qualify and they beat Trinidad and Tobago at the end of March, they will open the Copa America, which is the which is the oldest international soccer tournament, typically with South American countries, but now includes North American countries. They will open that tournament against world champions Argentina in, and Lionel Messi in mid-June. Uh, so it's going to come at a lot of people quickly, but the healthy Alfonso Davies will certainly help Canada secure a place in the Copa America. Uh, but we've got a, a fun, interesting few months ahead. Hey, Matthew, thanks for that update on soccer and all your uh, insight on the CFL. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot. Take care, guys. All right, that's Matthew Shinetti, CFL on TSN. And uh, it was a part of our Elevate Your Game segment brought to you by Ram Elevators and Lifts, manufacturing the safest elevators since 1987. Trust Ram. When we come back, Frank Saravalli from the Daily Faceoff and the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for the headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Rooter. They are sports fans like all of our listeners and are totally pumped that Sports Talk Radio is back. For all your plumbing needs, go to mrrooter.ca as we welcome in Frank Saravalli from the Daily Faceoff. Good morning, Frank. Did you return to Philly from Toronto? 
I did. Yeah, back home. I uh, had some games to coach this weekend, so oh. I was back. I actually missed the All-Star game itself, but I was there for the skills. Really? So you were there for the skills? Because we had Tyler, your, um, Chuck, your buddy, on at 740 this morning, and uh, he said he thoroughly enjoyed the five days he was uh, in Toronto. What about you? Way better than last year in Florida. Events were way more compelling. And by the way, it was an insanely busy news trip. <sighs> a coach being fired and Todd McClellan a two trades the top two guys off of our trade targets board plus all the olympic news hockey canada it's it was kind of unending would you say out of all the all-star breaks this was the most newsworthy i guess three four days that i can remember yes Mm -hmm. and then even yesterday in in um, ottawa it just continued on yeah, I would say... Um, Although yesterday, really nothing happened. Yeah, I was going to say, so you you were referring to London and the... Sorry, the, uh, London. I Yeah, I shouldn't have said... The all press right. conference. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we didn't really learn anything. No. We had known from reporting that those were the five players being charged. We learned nothing new about the narrative. And I think this is part of... You know, I get confused because that's not how things would have happened in the United States. Like, if mm-hmm. you're going to press charges you've got to you know at least show something you got to give us some details as to you know your probable cause why you think you arrived at this point and so that's not how an indictment would work in the u.s but i understand that canadian law is different yeah you're exactly right and from your perspective being you know a u.s citizen and and seeing how i guess the procedure and how things play out a lot more different here and then even you know, how many times did you hear yesterday? Well, that'll be the process will be will know be able to let people know in due time. Well, but it, in the same breath, they've been saying for six years and they're apologizing. And, you know, I kind of got the sense of like, you know, just come on. Here we go again kind of thing. Yeah, I think the tough part and this is purely my personal opinion is the tough part about making significant apologies like that is that what it does is it casts a serious shadow of guilt over the players that are now involved. You didn't have enough information or you didn't have enough to substantiate charges in 2019. You got to at least tell us how you arrived at this point all these years later to then now lay charges. And that's the part when you then make apologies, it's almost as if you're saying we got you now, which may be the case, but if you're just – a member of the general public and you hear those words, you're thinking these players are 100% guilty. Yeah. And, and I think there was a lot of CYA cover your arse from the London police service that also didn't do any part of admitting that they dropped the ball potentially in, in 2019. An apology is not the same thing as saying we screwed up. Mm-hmm. Frank Servali with us on sports 1440 text comes in uh, from Jesse. Uh, ask Frank about Sidney Crosby. Okay. Um, I assume this had something to do with the skills competition. It it actually, I'm guessing that it stems back to some commentary that I had on Thursday or Friday, which was more or less just that I was, I was critical of Sidney Crosby not showing up for the all-star draft. Right. There's 40 all-stars, 39 of them, are part of the first day of festivities. They're on the ice in a 
sold out building to participate in the player draft. And it's, it's not the end of the world, but the response and blowback that I got was fascinating. Mm. Like it was like, you, you, uh, you said something critical about a beatified saint and look, I'm not questioning Sidney Crosby's character. He's an a plus human being, a tremendous role model for everyone involved in the game any player coming up would do well to to model himself mm-hmm. after Sidney Crosby. But my point was, had this been any other player, had this been Alex Ovechkin in his prime, had this been Austin Matthews in the game isn't being hosted in Toronto, the first thing everyone would be saying is, what is this guy? Does he think he's too big for the game? Mm-hmm. And that's not the point that I'm making. It's just that he doesn't show up because he's – meandering through Yellowstone on vacation and no one says a word. And it's not the first year that this has happened. He didn't show up last year for the first day of festivities. And Connor McDavid has been in the league half the time and has played in more all-star weekends. So it's obvious that he doesn't like all-star and that's fine. But my whole point was like, no one should be above criticism. And that was it. And people didn't like that. And they told me to shut my fat face. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you if we, a lot of times, Frank, we don't always agree on everything, you and I, and that's the way it is. I agree with you 100% on this. Like, to, for him not to be there for, for the entirety of it, and especially, well, you know what? Then just say you can't go. Say you can't it, go. You know, it doesn't, I, I think some Sid is better than no Sid. My whole point was it, it's just odd that no one says anything. Mm-hmm. And it's because I think part of it is because he's a Canadian, first off. Let's, let's call a spade a spade. And then the next part is people say, well, he carried the league on his back for so long. Doesn't he just deserve extra time? And I mean, like, I guess, but not really. Mm -hmm. Like, when did Wayne Gretzky ever not show up to something? I never in his career, as far as I know, has Wayne Gretzky ever said no to anything. Yeah. Well, we're on the same page here, Frank. Uh, Two questions. Uh, just before we get to the Oilers, I just wanted to get your thoughts because he's been such a polarizing figure here in Edmonton. Yes, at RV. He signs with Pittsburgh, uh, $1.6 million over the two years, so 800 AAV. What does he have? Can he offer the Penguins anything here while we're on the subject, the subject of Sidney Crosby and the Penguins? I, I think it's a worthy gamble because at some point he had – you know, there had been flashes and I, you know, I think the hardest part for me to calculate in answering this question is how hampered was he by his hip injury when the last, you know, year or 18 months of playing and how much better is he now since then that that'll be the answer to the question. But in, And he, and he had some he had some he put up some decent numbers in Wilkes in yeah. the AHL. They weren't eye popping by any means. I think it was nine points in thirteen games. Yeah. Could he do? You know, is he enough to to give a league minimum contract to try it? And really, the two years is kind of just a year and a half mm-hmm. essentially because there's only a, a chunk of this year remaining, less than half the year. And I, I would take the bet if you're the Penguins looking for bottom six help. But I also think we've seen enough from Yesapuliarvi, and not just in Edmonton, but also in the very brief stint in Carolina, to know that there really wasn't a lot there. So, um, my I would lean towards him not being an impactful piece for mm-hmm. for Pittsburgh, but I won't rule it out based on his health and the hip. 
Yeah, we had, uh, I can't remember, the, the name is escaping me, but uh, a Pittsburgh reporter went down to Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, and watched him play one game and said he felt that, yes, his speed wasn't there, not at the NHL level, from watching him in person. It's so. To me, it, it's never been about the speed for Pugliarvi. It's always been about his central processing unit. He doesn't <laughs> think the game well enough to to be an impactful NHL player. There's just... There's not a high hockey IQ there, and when you don't have that, you know, look at some of the guys who have lost a bunch of foot speed. Corey mm-hmm. Perry's never had any, really. Uh, Sean Monahan gets a first-round pick. He He's in the bottom 30% in the NHL in terms of foot speed, and yet these guys are impactful players because they are so damn smart. Mm-hmm. Pulley-Arvey's, he doesn't have it. Yeah, we, that's we, why I really have doubts. We talked about that. Dan Kingerski's the reporter's name that uh, went down yeah. to watch him. Um, so tonight, Frank, all eyes will be on uh, Vegas. I mean, uh, to see a, an opportunity where the Oilers have to rip off win number seventeen in a row. Just your thoughts on this game? You know, you can't couldn't ask for a better matchup for the NHL for the Oilers for Vegas uh, coming out of the break. Uh, and with the magnitude of a 17-game possible winning streak, uh, just your thoughts on this uh, one coming up tonight. By far the biggest game in Vegas this week, and <laughs> I would say this is the ultimate test of a of a streak like the Oilers are on. To go through a bye week and the All-Star break, this is, if they can get through this, and I know it might be only one win or you know, tack on an additional one, at some point it's going to end, but to get through all of that and have it continue, let alone against a division rival on the road, and really what we're talking about here is not with the games in hand, you know, a chance to get an additional leg up on Vegas. This is really about planting a stake in the ground for home ice advantage in round one. And I didn't, I wasn't entirely sure that would be possible for the Oilers. I thought they were kind of destined for a wild card spot after the way the season started. And now we're talking about potentially finishing second in the division behind the Canucks. And Mm -hmm. the fact that we're talking about that on February 6th is insane. It really is. And to be honest with you, Frank, Vancouver is the only team in the West that really hasn't had a blip in the radar here. I would think that that's going to have to happen with the Canucks at some point in the second half. Do you think that the Oilers have a remote chance at first in the division? I don't. Um I have I haven't seen any evidence to point to yet with the Canucks to say that they're going to falter. We've all been saying since late October, oh, this team is going to regress. There's no chance they can continue to play this well. I loved hearing from Rick Tockett on the other side of the All-Star break about how humble this team needs to stay. Don't let it get to your heads that we are toward the top of the conference. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any doubt that he's going to be able to hold their feet to the fire. Um, And I think when you look at the talent that they have and, frankly, the goaltending that they have, that really helps set them apart from some of the other teams. And not to say, you know, Edmonton doesn't have a chance. It's just that I also don't think the Oilers are going to rip off 24 out of 27 to close the year. Mm -hmm. It's it's probably not going to be as good as it has been. And – and that's okay. 
What do you got cooking on daily face-off this week, Frank? You were saying, again, you're, you're, the, the trade deadline board is kind of took a big hit. Decimated. <laughs> but still, there's some names out there, a couple. But uh, what do you got cooking on daily face-off here? So we'll have a new trade targets board for you on Thursday to talk when we can convene again. Um, today I have something going on the Phoenix Coyotes or the Arizona Coyotes and their arena situation as they've been trying to get things in order. What is the next step? What are the possible outcomes for the Coyotes? Uh, tomorrow I have a deadline countdown preview of Sean Walker and his game from the Philadelphia Flyers. At some point he's cool. sort of been connected to the Oilers as a as an option on the blue line. I, I personally don't think he's that big of an upgrade on CC, but mm-hmm. the Oilers would be one of those teams mentioned. And then Friday, I've got uh, another piece on Alex Carrier of the Nashville Predators. Oh. So no shortage of things to do as we are just about one <laughs> month out from the deadline. Yeah. Uh, it's good. crazy how fast oh, it goes. No kidding. Good stuff there. And I saw you just reposted about uh, from Ben Pope out of Chicago regarding the Winter Classic next year. Yeah, it looks like uh, Wrigley Field, the Winter Classic, is returning there. It would be uh, 16 years since they were last there. I was actually at that one in 2009, January 1st, 2009, and uh, the Blackhawks are back, Connor Bedard, and you know this team needs some significant help to fill out their roster, but Man, you look at the draft lottery standings today on dailyfaceoff.com. The Hawks are right there. You watch Macklin Celebrini last night at the Bean Pot. It's whoever lands the number one pick is going to be getting a pretty special player. There were multiple NHL GMs mm-hmm. in the building last night at TD Garden, and I had exchanged messages with a few of them. I asked the question, how good is Celebrini compared to Bedard? They said, a notch down but still probably ahead of Fantilli and Leo Carlson, if wow. that means anything to you. Did you see uh, Celebrini's post-game interview last night? I did. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of let one slip out, didn't he? Yeah, well, I mean, that's what happens when you take a Canadian and put them in Boston. <laughs> hey, thanks, Frank. Uh, appreciate it. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Take care, man. See you, Kevin. That's uh, Frank Saravalli, Daily Face-Off, and our headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Rooter. There's a reason they call him Mr. For all your plumbing needs, go to Mr. Rooter. When we come back, we'll get to some of your texts coming in at 1-833-401-1440. Top of the hour, I'm not sure if anyone's heard about this, but Mark Spector is going to be joining us at 9 o'clock along with our co-host Grant Fear. And uh, then also at 9.20, Kelly McCrimmon, General Manager of the Vegas Golden Knights. That's all in the 9 o'clock hour as we continue to talk about the Oilers and the NHL and things of that nature not just the CFL. We've got much more to offer our listeners. Uh, that's coming up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. What a song, eh, Duke? You know, the, uh, and in case you missed it, uh, 61 or two years old, he passed away. Toby Keith, 62, passed away uh, last night, this morning. Uh, but that song, the video, just, if you look at the terrible makeup that you would say, as far as like what they did when he took a couple shots to the melon, like he's kind of got the shiner. He's looking like he's got, uh, I don't know, just the puffiness, the redness, the goose eggs. It's uh, kind of funny. Text coming in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. Dr. Dick Richard writes in, why is Gagne sitting out while Connor Brown is still in? Well, Dick... Two words, penalty kill. Uh, 
Connor Brown has been a pretty big part of the penalty kill, and uh, that's why the Oilers' penalty kill right now ranked fifth in the league at 83%. Power play ranked 27.0%, ranked fourth. And if you look at uh, the numbers on the opposition tonight in Vegas, uh, you would think that, you know, anytime a team has kind of had this kind of success, their their special team numbers are probably a little better than what they sit right now. Maybe we'll ask Kelly McCrimmon that coming up at uh, 920. Uh, the power play for Vegas right now, 20.1% ranked 18th. Penalty kill, 80.2% ranked 14th. So uh, Oilers have the edge in uh, special teams heading into this one. Uh, this is from our conversation with Tyler Uramchuk at 7.40. Uh, Brett from Stoney says, Janmark has a sandpaper game that Brown doesn't have. Moves better too. I think it would be crazy to take uh, Brown out uh, before, um, or crazy to take Janmark out before Brown. I think I got that right, Brett from Stoney. A um, couple of other notes. Oh, you know what the, I forgot to check out, and we were talking about... Uh, our little kind of quiz at the beginning of the show, we mentioned that Stuart Skinner with 12 consecutive wins, that's two off the league record set by three goaltenders. Who are they, Do Come on, get the memory going. Well, you got Jonas former, Hiller. Former Calder <laughs> Trophy winner, Tom Barrasso. Yeah, Tommy Jonas Barrasso. Hiller, Anaheim Ducks legend, and going way back almost a full century to uh, Tiny Thompson Tiny in the Thompson. 30s. Yes, so Tiny Thompson won the Vesna four years, if you can believe that. He won the Vesna Trophy four years. Uh, with the Boston Bruins. Now, the other stat with Tiny Thompson is that, and this, if you think about it, back then, there was only one goaltender on the team, and that carried into the, you know, into the 50s and 60s and things like that. But just looking at Tiny Thompson's stats, I would believe that he would have started about 300 games in a row. So 300 consecutive games, in 1932, he played 48 games. That's what the regular. That's what the season was, all the way through to 37, 38. Prior to that, he played 43 games. So maybe some of those games were at the end of the year. So I, I wouldn't even think of knowing where to look for a stat like that. Ballpark. Tiny Thompson played approximately 300 games in a row. Well, that's pretty good. But Stony Plains, Glen Hall with a record 502 consecutive games in goal, starting in goal. A record that, with out of all the records, like Wayne Gretzky's records, like a couple of them might be broken. I don't think 1539 ever will, but who knows? Like everyone was talking about Alex Ovechkin having the, you know, he's right on the heels for 894. Alex Ovechkin's going to break Gretzky's record. Yeah, well, it still could. I mean, he'd have to really turn it up a notch here for three more years. But... The record for consecutive games played by a goaltender will never, ever, ever be broken, and that's Glenn Hall, uh, one of the all-time stalwart greats. Jordan says, great music video for this one for sure. Slurpee Sean comes in and writes, Vancouver has a very tough schedule. The uh, the Oilers absolutely have a chance to capture first place in the Pacific. That was our discussion at the end with Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off guest and our headliner of the day. So, also Frank was very uh, passionate about Sidney Crosby. Not attending the draft he came a day late to the uh, nhl all-star game kyle from millwood says how is crosby a role model for young kids when he doesn't want to go to the nhl's biggest fan fest every year Hmm. 
So Frank took a little heat on that, Duke. I didn't really see that was so that was basically on was that Friday after we you know, we had him on Thursday, right? Yeah. Obviously, so he would have talked about that. Yeah, on Thursday DF, night and then DFO Friday. Live Friday morning, I believe, yeah. is when that uh, came out. Because, yeah, he he wasn't at the, the draft. They no. had the little kid in the Penguins jersey kind of serving as his, uh, his body double, if you will, his stunt double. Okay, the one thing that I do remember about that, and I didn't, again, I didn't watch, I, but I did see McKinnon going, I didn't even know he wasn't here. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember Nathan McKinnon saying that. Oh, I didn't even know he was here. Wasn't here. Yeah, so... It, uh, but I mean, hey, he was there for the skills comp, uh, serving up passes for the one timer contest. I think he was a better passer than Bedard for that. Well, even though jaw uh, sore, but Bedard uh, was given up to McKinnon, who ended up as the winner. But I think when you got a sore jaw, I mean, that's hard to pass, Duke. I'm being facetious. Yeah, I'm just like I am trying to think of like the legitis- the legitimacy of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like if it's still painful, but I mean, he was like talking and stuff, so I guess it probably couldn't have been too bad. Get I him think, back out there. I think he's just fine. Get him playing. Um, just to mention something other than hockey today and the CFL, Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame announced its inductees for this season this year. Six members of the class of 2024, and you would I bet Duke you'll know. Three of them out of six. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Russell Martin, Canadian catcher. Paul Godfrey. Do you remember Paul Godfrey? Vaguely. Vaguely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jimmy Key. Do you remember him? Yeah. Okay. And then the other three, Ashley Stevenson, Rod Heisler, who's from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and uh, Howard Bernie. Yeah, those names uh, don't ring quite as uh, loud of bells. How's that? Jimmy Key was a pretty good pitcher. Yeah. Big lefty. Russell Martin, obviously one of the top Canadians, and that was a big deal when they brought him, uh, brought him yep. to Toronto because it was kind of a sign that the organization was, you know, willing to spend the money to um, change the culture. And uh, him, Donaldson, um, to trade it for Tulowitzki, you mm-hmm. know, it was kind of like, yeah, we're we're going all in. And obviously, they came up a little bit short, but I think those two playoff runs are the most most memorable Blue Jays memories for a lot of uh, this generation of fans. I'm trying to think the best Canadian catchers in the history of Major League Baseball. Mm. I mean, it would probably be top of the list. Remember, we had, I think I, like he's yeah. the only one that I can, like off the yeah. top of my head can even drum up. But remember, he did play for the Blue Jays, so it's kind of a bias. Yeah, opinion. well, and but I mean, his best years were in L.A. with the Dodgers. Yep. So he and was, had some good time, uh, decent seasons in Pittsburgh as well. Before I guess, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, but but most of the time was in in L.A. I mean, he's a he's a Gold Glove catcher and a pretty reliable. Yes. He came up with some huge hits, uh, especially in the playoffs. Um, not so much in Toronto. His bat had kind of. Went a little limp by then, but yeah. But he was, you know, that's a lot of miles. Those no guys, when, when you're catching in the majors and you're still catching in your 30s, that's very impressive. When you mentioned the Pittsburgh Penguins, one guy that caught in Pittsburgh for many years and caught into well into his 30s, how he could even walk right now—it's amazing. It was uh, Tony Pena. Now, Tony Pena was one of the first guys that really. Uh, got out of his squat. He went from his squat and he took his one, uh, his left leg out, and he kind of just sat. Oh yeah, there. the the tripod stance. Yeah, sort of even even more so to get even lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he got a lot of calls because of that. But you know, if you ever listen to Buck Martinez, and a lot of people don't like Buck Martinez, <laughs> but if he, he when he gets going on catchers getting out of that squat because they're inability to block a ball yeah it just get, he gets going and going yeah and going. I, I i love buck i think I, he's I, yeah i mean he played the game for a long time mm-hmm. he's he knows what he's talking about i mean yeah some of his uh ideas might be a little on the 
old-fashioned side, but he knows what he's talking about. He used to do the the phrase, and he hasn't done it for a couple of years now, but he would go, in my mind, and then he would go on with whatever the <laughs> yeah, thought was, yeah. in my mind, and then he would, yeah, but he hasn't done it for a couple of years the now. Guy, the guy I used to, when I was living in Fort Saskatchewan uh, that I lived with, he he's not a baseball fan, but obviously, especially in the summer, he'd come home and I'd be watching the Blue Jays game virtually every day, mm-hmm. right? And he if if Buck was on the call... He refused. Like, he doesn't even like, if, if Buck wasn't calling the game, he'd sit there and like indulge me and watch with me. If Buck was doing the call, he's like, I can't even, I can't listen to this. And he does, he doesn't listen to any baseball games. It's just like, he's like, the voice just grates against his, his eardrums. So just so you know that again, and you guys have to really get going here on this probably starting next week on Fantasy Frenzy where you're going to have to really get baseball going into it mm-hmm. because you you got hockey. I don't think basketball gets a lot of this daily stuff. On da- your- well, daily a little bit. Uh, I, th- I think daily probably more so than maybe season long okay. in terms of what we've kind of gauged from the uh, the text line and listener, but a lot of people interested in getting going on a, a baseball. fantasy baseball league. So I'm in. If you guys get this going, there I'm we in. Go. I've, got, I've been in the Edmonton Rotisserie League for... 20 some years 25 about 24 also in the saskatoon fantasy baseball league as well and it is 50 days i'm just looking right now the draft countdown 50 days nine hours six minutes damn i better uh for for our league i better start doing my uh my research like and you've never really gone in a rotisserie league no okay i've done one one fantasy league before and it was uh, probably 10 years ago now. I think it was my first summer of being in university that somebody asked mm-hmm. me and I like did it on a whim and I kind of gave up halfway through because... Rules vary. Yeah. Th- that's how it goes. The, I can tell you that the Saskatoon one I'm in with these guys, unbelievably well run with how you put your team in and, and play like that. The one here is the rules are archaic. <laughs> uh, it's I'm, I bitch about it every year with these guys. You know, they just, but they've been going at it for so long. Tim Ellis is in it. Tim Ellis has never won, or he's won one year, I think. Uh, is this this the same one LT was in for a long time? I think I might have taken LT's team over. Oh, okay. He used to be called the Senators, I think. Yeah. I'll have to show you the, the, the list of the championship teams. You're on there a couple times? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not on fantasy football. We no. know that, Duke. No. Uh, when we come back, top of the hour, in case uh, you missed it, Mark Spector will join us at 9 o'clock from Vegas, but we'll also be joined by uh, Grant Fear. So we got Vegas on one line. So have we are we set up to do this, Duke? And oh, Gra- yeah. Grant Fear in Palm Desert. Yeah. And then Speck's going to be on the on the horn or in the... On I think the, they'll, they'll both be over the uh, the video on screen the here, so everyone wow. can see each other and Beautiful. pretend like we're all sitting in the same room just and chopping again, it up. This is Speck and, and Fury's first time together. Yeah. Wow. Breaking down. It's no uh, wonder Speck wanted to kind of move it up. Move, he, yeah, he was. He wanted a, new, a different flavor this week. He'll still get Laddie on uh, on Thursday because yeah. uh, Laddie and Schlemm court switching this week. We hadn't mentioned mm-hmm. that. I don't. Oh yeah, think yeah we better mention. Uh, that. But uh, but he'll be on with Schlemmer for the first time on Thursday at uh, nine o'clock. So Laddie's in tomorrow from eight to ten. Schlemmer's in nine to eleven on Thursday. Correct. Hopefully Schlemmer doesn't show up here tomorrow. Oh, he can get a whole <laughs> group group going. <laughs> to see that coming. Pow wow. Before all that, time now for a Sports 1440 update brought to you by Tommy Guns. Our unique lounges and casual setting makes it easy for anyone to rock a new look and get the best hot towel shave experience in Canada. Hands down. Book now at TommyGuns.com. Here is the Duke.